This week, it's GDC, and I haven't flown out there. Yeah. Do you usually go, right? Well, I've been going for a long time. It's last couple of years I skipped. Last year, I was kind of a bit worried about the the um, the Trump Muslim mm-hmm. yeah. band mm-hmm. thing. Yes. Yeah. And this year, I just got my head down working on my game with the team. And I really thought about it because I could have gone. And it would have been very hard for anybody on the team to say, you shouldn't be going because there's always something you're going to get out of GDC. But actually, I used to say to people who didn't go that you can catch all this online anyway. So I thought, why not try my own medicine and see how much I can get online? Oh, because it was uh, episode seven was when you were interviewing people, man on the street style at GDC. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the third time GDC has come up on this show. That's wild. Yeah. But, you know, as is normal with GDC, I mean, I I think I always forget. I feel like I forget this every time. Like, GDC is not an event full of, like, huge game announcements from the publishers, right? Like, there is always news, and we've got, like, a lot of interesting news. Uh, But I always forget that, like, Sony and Nintendo and, like, Microsoft are not having big press events at GDC. And it's because E3 is around the corner, right? Exactly, exactly. And the thing is, this is much more about the making of games as, a pal- as opposed to the selling of yeah. games. But E3 I feel like I forget that every single year. And I think it's because I, I, I seem to get it... I feel like I always get it confused with the Tokyo Game Show. Like, I think of those... Mm, for some mm. for a reason I, that makes absolutely zero sense in my brain, uh, I always get the two confused. Maybe because people refer to it as TGS, and it's like TGS, GDC. It's all the same to me. But mm. there, there is news, and Shahid has been digging in and has, has got a bunch of interesting things that he wants to talk to us about today. And I am really, really excited about the first one. Okay. I mean, just crazy excited. So Epic have been showing off this video demo that was done using ray tracing and get this it was done using ray tracing in real time seriously yeah that was real time yeah it was real time oh boy (laughs) all right we need to back up a second because like i don't even know what ray tracing is so we (laughs) ray ray tracing it sounds like like a weapon out of gundam yeah or something like that it is it is a weapon (laughs) of cool graphics if you've seen amazing graphics used in films over the last 10 years i would say maybe a little bit longer that has been because of ray tracing if you remember the first toy story that was ray tracing and the reason ray tracing is used for films and not for games is because it is extremely extremely expensive it can take hours days to render a really really good frame just a single frame of video traditionally but you know what moore's law and of course there's this little company not so little anymore called nvidia who have been upping the game with their graphics cards year in year out and are just doing some of the most incredible tech in the world right now so nvidia are behind this they have uh, just started to work on a new range of cards called the Volta range. And the Volta range have, are really, really good with AI, but also they provide just about enough power to do ray-traced graphics in real time, which is a holy grail. I mean, we've been trying to, in games development, we've been after this for a long time. I know I've been after this for a long time. I remember... My first ray tracing experiments I was doing back in 1990 on a 386SX16 laptop. And each frame I was generating was taking something like eight hours to (laughs) to render. Eight hours for a single frame. And remember, this is at 320 by 200 in 256 colors. So ray tracing is is a type of like graphics like it's a type of it's a way of showing visual graphics is that right like it's just a method yeah i'll go into exactly what it is actually i won't go exactly we we don't need that i feel like my eyes might bleed out of my head i'm i'm excited about it because you know this is something i was actually playing with a long time ago and i've been waiting for this to become real so the reason i tell you this story is not because i'm old although that is true it's because 
Look at how far we've come. In 1990, we were rendering a frame of 320 mm. by 200 by 256 color um, imagery, low quality, low number of objects in the scene, and it was taking eight hours. And now we're talking about doing the same thing in one sixtieth of a second Jeez. at 100 times the resolution with thousands of times more color. And that's how far we've come in about 20 years. It's just nuts. So why is ray tracing so cool, right? I, I won't go into the detail. Anyone can Google it if they really want to. And if they're math heads, they can study the science behind it. But the, the reason ray tracing is so cool is because it does three things really, really well over traditional rendering techniques. It does reflections, it does refractions, and it does shadow, including soft shadow, absolutely beautifully. And it's why it's used so much in film, because right. you cannot compromise with quality of those, of those effects in films. As soon as you start to compromise on reflections, refractions, your mind goes, ah, that is computer graphics. Whereas with ray tracing, you are able to produce imagery that looks photorealistic. And the reason yeah. for that is simple. Yeah. If, you, if you were to examine how traditional graphics works, they use a process called scanned line graphics or rasterization. I won't explain what either of those is in detail, but what I will say is it's, a, and probably most of our listeners will be familiar with this, is it's about constructing objects out of triangles and then the gpu will draw those triangles into a buffer from back to front mm -hmm. and loosely apply materials and lighting on a vertex or down to a fragment and pixel level okay that that's what it does and the reason it's so efficient is because modern gpus will allow you to process many fragments or pixels in parallel hundreds of them at a time. And they're all doing very, very similar calculations. Now, the problem with that is it still doesn't handle, although the images are really good, as we've seen with the latest video games. Yeah, really I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some of the videos that have come out from GDC as well that, that, that show this ray tracing stuff um, so people can go and see that. Yeah, I mean, people have seen it, right? People mm -hmm. have seen it in movies. What is special about it now is that these were produced in real time, which means that you will see their application in games probably in a couple of years' time. Right. See, now I feel like I understand what's going on here. So this is a technique that's existed for, for, for some time, but was done in movies, which would take however many days, weeks, months to render or whatever it would take them to render this stuff, right? So it could be used in movies. But the difference is now with the real-time stuff, it means that this technique can be used in video games because video games have to render this stuff in real time, right? Because you have to see it unfolding in front of you rather than waiting like three weeks before your game to like <laughs> load into memory before you play it. Well, that's right. And I mean, you know, in the meantime, there have been amazing demo scene coders who have been putting together close to real-time or even real-time but low-resolution or low-quality ray tracing um, or ray marching demos. And you can find loads of those on uh, online. And you can also see some amazing shaders that simulate some of this stuff or approximate it on Shader Toy, which is a really cool site. We should probably put that in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. So what is ray tracing? What's the difference between ray tracing and traditional rendering? Ray tracing is a really incredibly simple technique but it's hugely expensive. What it is, is you fire a ray from the eye into the scene, which is counterintuitive because you, th you think, well, hold on a minute, light bounces off stuff, right? And then it enters into our eye. Well, the way ray tracing graphics work is they fire a ray from the eye, a virtual ray, obviously, into a scene constructed of mathematical objects, which describe the scene. And then... Once they hit something, or they don't, but let's talk about the situation where the ray hits something in the scene, it will then create a few more rays, like for reflection, uh, reflection, for refraction, for shadow. So, for example, from the point that's hit, you might fire a ray towards light. And if it can't find a path to the light, that means that, that point is in shadow. So you see that right, okay. and using, using the contribution of nearby objects and their lights and so on, produces an incredibly detailed scene. But you can imagine how expensive that is, firing off these thousands, millions of rays 
and then bouncing them off loads of objects until you've got almost a photorealistic image. Why? Because it's working in a very similar way to the way the real world works. So okay. this is why it's really, really exciting. This is why um, we use ray tracing to get photorealistic imagery. And for this to come to games, is going to be phenomenal. How now, far away are we from Bottom this? line, how far away? Absolutely. Great question, Mike. So I think we're talking about a couple of years away okay. before it's truly real time. I think in the meantime, you'll get these amazing cards coming out soon. I'm not sure exactly when the Volta range will come out but they'll you know how it's like they'll be extremely pricey and you won't be able to do an entire scene using ray tracing but you might be able to do aspects of a scene or you might be able to upscale something immediately but then within a couple of years i think you're going to start seeing at the moment those demos were done with i think four Volta cards <laughs> so right know, okay four, okay four gpus so still a way to go but the point is, it's now being done in a machine you could conceivably buy quite soon. It'd be a very expensive machine, but we know how quickly the prices of these, these things come down. Right, it's more the point stuff. that like, as soon as you can do it, it means you're going to get really, really close. Right? Like, you have to do it first, and all technology is created in a form which it doesn't ship in. Right? Like Every, every like, piece of consumer technology is first prototyped right and made into something which is like six times as big before they can miniaturize it but like that's just how technology is manufactured and this is that part of that right the, the moment they've worked out what they need to do and now it's just a case of getting the price down and getting the manufacturing down until it's at a stage where it can be sold right yeah totally this is a watershed moment you've totally nailed it we had the same situation with vr of course yeah before we had the advent of the recent slew of vr headsets there was really no vr it was mm -hmm. just experimental and before this announcement ray tracing in real time for video games was a pipe dream now there's a statement of intent saying hey look this is not a pipe dream anymore this is coming and here's an example of what we're going to be able to do with it oh and by the way we actually did this and this was real time and of course, the, the other interesting thing is that NVIDIA are producing tools not just for uh, Unreal, but for loads of uh, top-tier game developers. Um, my former colleague, Lorenzo, actually works at NVIDIA now, and he sent me a, a picture of their stand, <laughs> which is very kind of him, showing me their tech working in Unity as well. So before long, you know, just think about it, two years' time, the average uh, independent developer... Um, will be able to use Unity to create ray-traced games. It's just amazing. That's wild. You won't be able to tell whether the, these things are real or not. And that in concert with some of the facial animation tech we've been seeing coming out of GDC, I forgot to mention this, there's some amazing facial stuff. I don't know if you saw the Andy Serkis video. I did see that, he, yep. Oh, my God. And then you've got a monster overlaid and he's doing Hamlet and it's just incredible. And then you combine that with the ray tracing stuff and you've got AI. Well, and, I mean, oh, the way that I look at it, once you start pairing all of this together with VR, like, yeah, that's next yeah. level, right? Like, yep. if you can make things look real and then put them in VR like that. Like, it's great to have it on the TV. But if you make something look photorealistic and strap it to my face like that <laughs> yeah that point you're really kind of edging into something extra special so yeah that's really cool what else what else has caught your eye from gdc shade okay so that that was a big ticket that's thing, the big but, thing I mean, yeah yeah but talking about uh vr one of the problems we've talked about in remaster before is that the high-end stuff is tethered of course five pro is now available for pre-order it was not cheap uh, it's around 800 US, 799 US. I think it's also 799 UK pounds. Yeah, sterling, it is. Yep. Uh, which is, uh, well, you know. It is what it uh, is. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> but the point yeah. is, the tech is there. It's going to yep. come down in price. We knew this And they've would brought happen. the the original Vive, the Vive's 499 now. That's now that they, they have. have the Pro. So that's good. They have. Oh, uh, talking of um, a lower price, bear in mind that that Vive Pro price does not include controllers. So of course it doesn't. You'll have to <laughs> of add those and what. Of course it doesn't. <laughs> but still, you know, you got top end headset now, sub one thousand. Yeah, that US really is like that really is some serious technology though as well. What's in the in the pro like the oldest greens and all that sort of stuff. Like I bet it looks really really good. 
Yeah. And so the Vive yeah, Pro I'm comes sure it. it comes with the untethered capability in it then. That's right. I th- I'm pretty sure it does. Because you Is can... it the one with the with the little backpack? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I don't think I don't think no, the no, Pro no, comes with that. This this is the high res one, isn't it? Yeah, this the, is the extremely the, high res one. The pro and the the regular will be able to take advantage of the wireless adapter, but yeah, that's yeah, still coming yeah. soon. Yeah, that's still coming. Yeah, yeah. So that so, that that's still coming in. Okay. Like I, I was surprised they didn't announce that at the same time. Shows that's obviously yeah, not ready yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, so that they have the price. You can buy the the pro now, and you'll be able to hook it up to the wireless adapter when that becomes available to make you look like an ant. It's it's weird. That's it looks right. like an ant. It's very peculiar. So yeah, I, close. I would rather I'd rather look like an ant uh, than feel like I'm in the Matrix. That well, I mean, you don't know what you look like though. You can't see it. But everybody, I mean, you always look ridiculous at using VR anyway. Not just you, Shade. I mean, true. everybody. This is true. No, me especially. Everybody, but yes, you especially. <laughs> so uh, going from the top end of the scale to the lower end of the scale, there's the Oculus Go. People have had. I've uh, been giving their impressions on that, but I'm not really too interested at that. Well, what was it? 200 US, 199 US. Yeah, um, I've so been, I've been, from what I've been seeing, I can't expensive. see why this is really that much better than a like a Rift or the Daydream. Like I know that they have different specs or whatever, but none of these headsets have really made any waves so far. So yeah, I, I'm holding back judgment completely on it yet, but. Um, I I don't know how far these these units are really going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 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 not too excited about the lower end stuff, and I don't think they serve very well as low end entry points into VR because for me they're not true VR. As soon as you start doing VR like stuff, the experience breaks. Mm-hmm. Now let's let's should we go back to the distant distant past? <laughs> The time of the Atari. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with this thing. <laughs> so the Atari box is now the Atari VCS. Which is a worse name. That is a worse name. I know that it, it is, is nostalgic, right? But Atari box is a better name than Atari VCS. Totally. What are they thinking? And it's expensive. Like 250 300 odd bucks. Yep. And they're not quite sure yet about how they're going to launch it, when they're going to launch it, though there are kind of hints of April. And from what I hear, it's kind of slightly better than a, an Android phone. Uh, it's kind of Linuxy, um, not very high-powered. So it will play all the original VCS games. Well, Great. in theory, right? Like, yeah. Okay, so like, what they're saying is that it's it's a mix of like classic and modern and they have two controllers for it but they haven't uh-huh. announced any games yeah well here's a problem remember we were talking on remaster of maybe a couple of shows ago about how difficult it is to reproduce some of the older stuff mm-hmm. sometimes even just to get hold of the older stuff who owns it now exactly even? and even if you could find out who owns the stuff sometimes you just can't find the roms you yeah. can't find the data files to them. Remember, this is pre-internet, so it's not like they're sitting on a server somewhere, mm-hmm. unless someone had managed to hold on to them long enough. And anyway, so there's a whole slew of potential problems, and I know we had uh, similar problems when I was at PlayStation, um, trying to get hold of the original titles and getting them redone. You know, you sometimes you get in touch with a publisher and say, "Look, we'd really like to see this." old title as a ps1 classic or whatever and they wouldn't be able to get hold of the rights again because the rights would have expired or mm-hmm. they wouldn't be able to get a hold of the code or they couldn't rebuild it it's just this old stuff if you're not careful about preserving it you know it just dies and it's not that old we're talking about just a few decades it's not like we're trying to dig up fossils man so yeah, i don't find myself being very interested in this atari no. box to be honest it, it looks a little doa to me honestly like, I don't know who who's going to buy this. Well, you talk about looks. It looks beautiful. It does. It's a really beautiful looking box. But the thing is, look at the way Nintendo have done it. That's cute. It's a good price. And they just stick to the best games. And you know what you're getting. I mean, talking about so, best games, like Breath of the Wild picks up another award. It won the GDC Choice Award. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that makes the Switch so good, <laughs> is that it's yeah. a novel hardware with the best game of the year potentially twice so like mm-hmm. i don't really understand what atari i mean is hoping to do with this i'm 
you know, I'll keep my eye out on it. You never know. But like, I, I feel like that they're trying to emulate what Nintendo is doing with the Switch and with their classic hardware stuff. But honestly, like, I, I just don't know if that if the market exists in the way that they would hope it would. So if you had a choice between a Switch and modern games and no access to the virtual console and the Atari box, and they're about the same price tag, you know, what mm-hmm. choice are you going to make? I mean, okay, with a, with a Switch, you might be missing some of the things that you love, but don't worry, you're going to be getting everything else. And mm-hmm. it's all modern, it's all good, played loads of ways. That's kind of what they're up against. And here's the other killer as well, is that for the price of a slightly expensive card game, no, a very expensive card game every year, you're likely going to get the next Nintendo virtualized in a box. Uh, might I suggest uh, a Nintendo 64 yep. coming maybe this Christmas, you know? And if if they miss, if Atari miss or Atari box misses the April date, and they probably will, and they're up against another Nintendo and the Switch, and maybe the Switch is at a price cut, well... It's going to be rough, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think it's very good for them. So, should we blast through these last several little parts? We've got like some uh, yeah. tools for developers, right? The Google Maps API is available for yeah. Unity devs because they're trying Again, to convince people to make AR talk- stuff. Yeah, we talked about this in Remaster as well. Remember, mm-hmm. we were talking about AR and how it'd be really cool if you could get access to the, the Maps API. Here it is. So it's Pokemon, um, this, this to make the next Pokemon Go, basically, which it seems very peculiar yeah. to me that it's like this amount of time has passed before this has happened, but it's now something that people can do. And then Magic Leap, which is that mixed reality stuff, the yeah, they've opened a portal for developers now too. That's right. You excited about that? Feels like vaporware to me. Mm. Like, yeah, you mean they opened like a literal portal? Considering that <laughs> <laughs> I see what you Ayo. did there. <laughs> there he hey, is. Man, you've been quiet. Did you just pop out of a portal? Uh, I think I think Federico's been sitting and writing that joke for the. No, <laughs> I actually just popped. Just because. <laughs> it's not like I was listening in silence for 15 minutes just thinking of this like, moment. Come on, come on. Nope. Eventually they're going to say it. Hey, guys, talking about portals, budget cuts. <sighs> What is I saw a video and it's about killing robots basically. Oh you you got a oh it's amazing. I have played this game. I'm so jealous. Um I played it on a HTC Vive like maybe 18 months ago, so like when it was in early access. And I loved this game. It is a really cool game. It has one of the best movement mechanics. Oh um, man. Like, I mentioned this at the time, but, like, so the way that you move is you kind of, like, you shine a laser beam onto an area and, like, you see through a portal into where you're going to be going. So you can, like, throw these balls and then these balls expand into portals. So you can throw, like, a ball through, like, an air vent and then you can take a look into the room that you've just thrown it into and then basically step through that portal when you're in the room, right? It's very clever. And I spoke about this at the time, like I threw this, I threw a portal ball up onto a ledge and I went up there and I had like a vertigo feeling because I didn't know that I was on the edge of the ledge. It was really friggin' incredible. Like this is, this is a very, very, very good game. Um, And it's going to be getting official release in April, right? I think something like that. April or May, May, May. It's coming to the Vive and the Rift in May. So Mm -hmm. if you have a VR set up on a pc i really 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 recommend budget cuts like i played it for like maybe 20 minutes and i absolutely fell in love with it. it's one of the best games i played in vr and this was even just in early access it, it's really cool i liked it a lot and yeah you're kind of like so i didn't really get much of the story but you you're basically like in these environments trying to escape past robots it's pretty cool like a mix between portal and metal gear or something like that i liked it a lot it was a fun game <laughs> i'm sold all right, today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. And when you do, use the offer code insert coin at checkout and you'll get 10% of your first purchase. Squarespace will let you easily create the website that you want for your next idea or project. Whether you want to create a blog or a portfolio, a site for your business, a site for an event, or even add an online store, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that will let you do any and all of that. There's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about or upgrades needed. That You quickly and easily grab a unique domain 
name if you need it. And you can also take advantage of beautiful award-winning templates. They are fantastically designed and very easily customizable to help you show off your great ideas. Squarespace back all of this up with a 24-7 customer support, which is award-winning in case you need any help. They are the total package. Squarespace have everything that you need for you to start your next website. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can sign up for a trial today with no credit card required. Just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code insertcoin, I-N-S-E-R-T-C-O-I-N at checkout, and you will get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Remaster. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of this show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So Federico, there was a uh, another Nintendo Direct. Um, this was a yeah. Nindies um, showcase, yeah. which uh, they did one of these uh, last year, I think. What yes. what was happening in the Nindies showcase for this year? Uh, so for the Spring 2018 Nindies uh, showcase, which for those not aware of this terrible name, it's uh, Nintendo and Indie Games, therefore Nindies. Nindy. Um, Nintendo shut off, I think, about 14 games in total. And the highlights, um, so I, I would cut to the chase and say immediately that it's it was not a terribly exciting uh, it wasn't. showcase. It, it wasn't, was a, especially compared to the one last year, which had lots of yeah. really, really exciting games in it. Like this yeah. one, as some games I've heard of, like West of Loathing and Lightfall and Reigns, which was on iOS. Yes. Um, yes. And there was, like, there was a game called Just Shapes and Beats, which looked kind of cool and Pool Panic, which looked kind of weird. But there was no... It didn't really feel like this Direct had any huge blockbusters to it. And yeah. and, and I think that might have been because a couple of them, they, they did in the main Direct. Like, Undertale yeah. should have been in this one, for example. Undertale right? should, have, should have been here. And even if you take a look at the uh, at the announcements that came out after the, the video, stuff like Need Hog 2... And Hyperlight Drifter, which is this action RPG game that we were talking about a couple of years ago. Um, this was also made through using Game Maker Studio, which Nintendo announced uh, uh, in the last Nintendo Direct that it's now supported on the Switch. And this would have been a would have been terrific to have in the in the Nindy Showcase. Instead, it came out as an announcement on Twitter. I mm-hmm. think um, other highlights. I would I guess that judging from people's reactions, uh, the Banner Saga Three. Is coming to the Switch. I have no and idea Luminous, what that is. I don't yeah, know. me neither. It's it's, but it's kind of popular. It's been on PlayStation. It's on iOS. Okay. Uh, it's a strategy game. Talk talks about Vikings. I want to say, um, Luminous though. It's a puzzle game that um, came out. Shahid, correct me if I'm wrong, but it came out during the PSP days. PSP, you're right. And it's made by the guy who also made Rex. Rez, rather, not Rex. Rez, 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 Rez yeah, yeah. Rez, uh, is I don't, I cannot remember his name. But it's this puzzle game with really cool techno music and really cool graphics. And I used to play this a lot on the PSP. And then I think a few years later they made a Nintendo DS version. This was back in the days when the, the Sony was trying to fight the Nintendo DS. Um, and so Luminous was a really big exclusive at the time. And this one is called Luminous Remastered, and it's coming to all the platforms, PS4, Xbox One, PC, and the Nintendo Switch. Uh, so people are talking about this. And there's also Crashlands, which is this uh, action RPG slash crafting game great, for iOS great, and great, Android. Great, great, iOS game. Really good game. really loved. And that's, that's really it. good game. I was hoping uh, that we were going to see Into the Breach. That's what I was... I thought we were going to get Me that. too. That's what I was <laughs> like too. really holding out for, but that didn't happen. I mean, if, 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 if that is going to happen soon, that could be part of E3 for Nintendo. Because Nintendo, mm-hmm. that is some, actually some interesting news, right? That the Nintendo E3 plans that Switch Super Smash is going to be part of the uh, t- tournament, which is wild, right? Like that is wild. Yes. That we're going to be seeing that game in like two months. Yeah, basically, just out of nowhere, and we still don't know whether it's a. It's a new game entirely or some kind of adaptation from the Wii U version. So that's still not clear, but we're going to see it in action. And there's going to be a tournament mm-hmm. for the game. So um, what I found interesting is actually two things. One of them came out earlier this week and the other one today. Um, so Nintendo revealed the 10 best-selling 
indie games on the Switch. Hmm. And there are some pretty obvious names here, but it's still good to mention them. Uh, Steam World Dig, Stardew Valley, of Hell course. Yeah. Uh, Celeste, uh, yep. Golf Story, which I really want to play. Golf Story and is so good. Yeah, that is I want to play that game. And Overcooked and Shovel Knight Treasure Trove are also part of this collection. They didn't and the set- rank them, though, did they? I don't think so. No, they, they just, just gave, gave the out the name. I mean, it was the obviously Stardew, right? Like, Stardew Valley I think was so. one, must I think have so. 100% been the best selling. Like, that was in I think so. the like the top three on the charts for, like, months. Yeah. Um, there was also a couple of interviews today on Kotaku and I think on The Verge with the uh, with the person in charge of uh, indie developer developer relationships at Nintendo. His name is Damon Baker, and he's also uh, usually on the Nintendo podcasts that they're doing. Uh, I think it's called Nintendo Nintendo Power, right? Uh, the is Nintendo Power, Nintendo? like the yeah. like yeah, the Nintendo Power podcast, like the magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a pretty cool dude, and he's you know he's the new face of the Nintendo indie developer relationship program. And I think, so I was skimming through this interview um, on Kotaku, and he was talking about this idea of Nintendo moving to a model where um, there is some kind of um, elite status for some developers. So you can get approved by Nintendo. So rather than having your games approved on a game-by-game basis... It's sort of a closer relationship between Nintendo and the developer so that you you get a better status in the eShop and with Nintendo and you have more freedom to make games because you are already part of the elite program. And it's kind of the same concept that for a long time iOS developers have been asking Apple to do, sort of to have a to have a some kind of special tier for trusted developers, trusted mm. partners. Uh, so that they can have more freedom and better access to the company they work with. Which what I this think means is, an interesting... is like basically treating some in, in, independent developers like they treat EA, right? Would be For my example, expectation. Yeah, which I think is an interesting idea, and I wanted to know from from Shahid if the, I mean you've worked on this stuff before so obviously you know what are the challenges and yeah, uh, I did it possibly for a living for a decade yeah. um, <laughs> in, in many different shapes and forms some of them what are more do you painful think than of, others what do you think of nintendo trying to do this it's old hat um okay so when i when i joined playstation in 2005 they had the idea that they would have a bunch of account managers for top tier developers and those top tier developers would be developers trusted by publishers there's no self-publishing then, right? So there's a different model. But the idea was that the top-tier developers would have their own relationship with PlayStation that was independent of the the publishers who were commissioning the games. Because in those days, there's no way to get a game done unless you were a publisher. That changed very quickly, of course. Then what happened is as things started to open up at PlayStation, and they started to open up, a long time ago, but very, very gradually, so that developers could self-publish, more developers started to become interested in PlayStation. It didn't explode until, you know, the, the stuff we were doing in 2011, 2012 really started to mushroom and take off. Then it just mm-hmm. it just went mental. And then suddenly you went from a few hundred developers to a few thousand registered and that becomes unmanageable. You cannot have account managers giving account-level services to all of those developers. So you have to filter, right? You have a few that you will give give the additional service to. But I like the way Apple do it, and I like the way PlayStation did it, and that is there was no elite status. It Not everybody likes it. Because there are some developers who say, oh, yeah, but I want to know who's being treated better. Why? Well, so, so you can feel bad if you're not. You know, the difficulty is in establishing the criteria by which you get better treatment. So you could do that by revenue, which is the commercial way of doing it, because then that partner becomes trusted. The problem with that approach is that not every game that has 
an amazing amount of revenue is the kind of game that the platform necessarily wants to use to promote itself. So in supporting that, what you're doing is you're weakening your own strategic message around platform support. Yeah, so the problem is establishing the criteria. Once you make the criteria public, then of course what happens is it becomes easy to game the system. We've seen it happen time and time again. You've seen it with Steam, you've seen it with uh, with iOS, you know, people can submit endless clones. Yes, Apple have become better about taking down the clones. The problem with having a completely transparent system, and I know this sounds bizarre coming from me, right? But the reason you do it like that is because you make it more human. You are very, very open about it. But in keeping the rules slightly opaque in the way Apple is traditionally done, then let people infer what they like about why a partner is being treated a certain way. But I would say that even if you do that, it's very clear to people that the reason people are treated better, if you like, or more closely, is because they're doing something of strategic importance to the platform which they're targeting. They're making the devices look good. And if you look at any platform in the world, what do they care about? They want content that makes their devices look good so they can sell more devices. And any developer that wants to do that rather than focus just on making money, and of course they should be looked after too, I'm not saying they shouldn't, but if you focus on making the platform look better, you will find somebody reaches out to you from that platform and will want to support you. And that's the way it's been happening for a long time at a lot of platforms. And I think it's a, a good healthy approach it's not completely open it's not completely transparent but i think the underlying assumption that the platform will support those people who will make the platform look good is really obvious to anyone who's got any kind of interest or experience in this game but do you think that this is ultimately a bad thing for them to do this to have an elite program yeah yeah i do okay because of the alienation yeah, it creates a bunch of have-nots. You okay. want to give everyone the idea... Uh, sorry, you want to give everyone who's making games for Nintendo uh, feel like they have a chance of being part of a select group of chosen people. Chosen because they did something to make Nintendo look good. Rather than think, uh, well, I'm not included because of this, I'm not included because of that. Just creates bad feeling. You'll have lots of bad right. PR around it as well. But isn't there a way, like, I mean, I don't know how, but for them to try and foster both, like in the way that they have been doing, right? Like, I think people feel pretty good about it right now, about the way that Nintendo have been handling things. Can they not continue to do that whilst also promoting some of the larger um, developers up to a different status? Well, you run out of resource. Yeah, okay. You know, you, you run out of resource sooner or later. You have to, at some point, you have to make a decision about why you're employing people as Nintendo, you know? Why are these sure. people working for Nintendo? Are they account managers? Okay, if they're account managers, how many accounts do they get to manage? On what basis do those accounts get managed? Yeah, what are the criteria we choose to give more support? Are we going to make these criteria public or not? And on and on and on. It's not impossible. It's just difficult. It's expensive. Right. And, and it can be bad PR. You can do both, but it's very hard. Then you have, you have like three tiers. <laughs> I'm keen to see how it ends up working for them then. I mean, from an outside perspective, like the way that it is explained, it seems like it makes logical sense to me, but I don't have the insider knowledge that you do, right? So like, you know, the idea of being like, oh, these developers are really great. So they get a little bit of extra promotion or they get a little bit of extra resource. It sounds logical, but with the way that you've explained it, it requires a lot of resource that maybe they don't have right now. Maybe they do have it. We don't know, but it seems unlikely. The The reason things worked really well at uh, PlayStation, I can only speak for my time there. Um, and it was a short period of time. It's not a long period of time. Yeah, we, we were very bad for a long time. Mm -hmm. was because a whole bunch of us around the world absolutely worked our socks off to ensure developers were being listened to. It didn't mean that we were doing what they wanted us to do. It just meant that we respected them, we listened to them, and we did what we could. But 
Having said that, they were treated differently. And they understood. As long as they were listened to. So as long as there is a channel, as long as you can, as Nintendo, if you can create a channel whereby people feel like they are listened to, that's going to help. Right. If they can, if they can do that, then then developers who are not at the top tier level will feel respected. It's about respect. If you can do that, then you don't need to muck about with elite programs. You know, when PlayStation still do this, by the way, so I can talk about this being an outsider. Thankfully, it's nice to be able to do that. Um, not thankful that I'm outside PlayStation, just that I can say something without having any of it to do with me. It's all to do with PlayStation. They do treat absolute top tier developers differently, but you wouldn't know it. They have special events for the absolute top tier developers. Hmm. Why? Because they're going to make the hardware sing on day one. You can be sure that when PS5 starts to happen, there'll be a tiny group of developers who are included in the very first events. They'll have a complete opening the kimono session on the hardware, on the software, on the target specifications with a very small group of developers. And gradually that group will open. And if they do it right, like we did for the launch of PS4, then everybody will feel like they've got a chance without ever having to have an elite program, an exclusive program, a kind of um, where-in-you're-out program. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, it's going to be worth seeing how they end up doing it, right? Like, that's person to put in, right? I'd love to see him get it right. So I want to talk about Battle Royale games on mobile platforms because in the last couple of weeks, both Fortnite, which is unequivocally the biggest game in the world right now, and Player Unknown Battlegrounds have launched on iOS and I believe Android as well. Uh, Fortnite is in an invite only situation right now, but there are like there are lots of invites. PUBG is just is just available. So uh, I've played a little bit of both of these, um, and I want to start with Fortnite. Okay, so I need to just say this up front. I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time watching PUBG streams. That is the thing mm. that I've been doing. I've been talking about here. I watch Awful Squad every week. I love it. It's a Polygon series. I've never really paid much attention to Fortnite just because the there is not a lot in the, the 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 places where I follow the game streamers that I follow typically do not stream Fortnite, so I haven't really been seeking it out. But I'm aware of the game. Um, I could not understand how to play Fortnite on my iPhone. Yeah, it's not just you. <laughs> and okay, so it's the same with PUBG in that. They don't explain it to you. I think PUBG does have a tutorial mode, but it's not by default. And I think the reason for this is both of these games are intended for people that already know the game, right? Both the, this Fortnite on, on iOS and PUBG as well, I believe they currently only exist so people that already are playing can continue to play. That is how I look at them right now, and it may change in the future. Um, but I think that's why Fortnite is so incredibly confusing to me because I had no basis for how to play the game and they weren't trying to teach me. Plus, Fortnite seems to be more complicated from a mechanical perspective than PUBG anyway because it has all of the building mechanics to it as well. Um, I'm, I want to learn how to play, Pub, uh, to play Fortnite, but I want to learn how to play it not on my iPhone. I want to learn how to play either on PlayStation um, or on PC. Like that That's kind of what I would prefer to do because it seems like it's maybe a little bit too complex for the iPhone, for my taste. Yeah, I, I can tell you that I tried to play Fortnite on my PS4 and they don't expla- explain anything to you on the consoles either. Really? Uh, you just Yeah, you, you create an account and... Mm. That's basically it. Like you're, th- if you choose the battle royale mode, you're thrown into the fight, and I'm pretty sure there's like a single dialogue screen. I'm, I'm not actually, I'm not confident in the amount of information that the game gives you. It's basically it amounts to nothing. Uh, you gotta learn everything on your own. Like, what do colors mean for different types of weapon? 
or what does it mean that you need to build? Uh, what does it mean that you uh, need to um, drink potions? <laughs> For example, nothing is explained to you. And so I try to set up, uh, of course, I set up my Fortnite account and I try to play a bunch of matches, uh, either in solo and team mode. And it went terribly. Uh, I The best that I did was I ranked 17th or something. Um, and I felt like an idiot because I was like, I didn't know any rule. I didn't know what the weapon colors meant. I, I had potions, but I didn't use potions because I thought, well, my, my health bar is full, so I shouldn't use potions. Turns out those are shield potions, which are a separate bar than health. Um, not, the game teaches you nothing. And so I ended up feeling like a sucker and going to YouTube and checking out you know, like best practices and tips and tricks for Fortnite, uh, common mistakes to avoid in Fortnite. And it turns out that I was playing like a completely different game. And if <laughs> you don't, basically, if, if you don't build in this game, you're going nowhere. Mm-hmm. And once you, uh, so I, there's a spectator mode, which I found useful because I was able to, to continue watching the people who killed me, uh, sort of, a, in a, in a sad, but also interesting way. Um, and also, I I rewatched the very famous at this point stream with Ninja, the Twitch uh, broadcaster, and Drake. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, uh, the guy who was uh, supposed to be arrested in the United States, Kim.com, you know, the mega upload guy? Yeah. He was also playing with them for some reason. Anyway, um, that was really useful because I was able to see how players who know Fortnite, such as Ninja and Drake, apparently... Um, all the moves and all the you know all the, I think the that things this that they is part do of how these games work right like yeah you you learn it by watching i mean so like i, I know all about how to play pubg before i've ever played it right like i knew how to play the game i knew all the places i knew my strategy so you're saying that in a way streaming is the new tutorial I think for these types of games, th- like this specific game type, this like mo- massively multiplayer online battle royale game, that mm. they are so like kinetic that they're dra- they're yeah. drawing people in to watch online, and that the games are developing, like both of these games, like Fortnite and PUBG, neither of these games are in a state that a game would typically be in from a development perspective, considering how far and wide they are at. Like, they're both on consoles, they're both on PC, now they're both on mobile, but both of these games are still in like pretty active development on a day-to-day basis. That it, it's like, and again, like, I'm, I'm definitely coming at this more from PUBG than Fortnite. I, I am very aware that we're going to get many people talking, telling, giving us feedback about how we're mi- misrepresenting Fortnite. And that is purely because, for a reason I can't explain, Fortnite doesn't grab me in the way that PUBG does. And I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. It might just be because I've seen way more sh- the streams of PUBG, but I think that there is more of a, like a realism that I get out of a, these types of games than than some of the like ultra realism that's coming from Fortnite. Do you think the fact that a lot of people see Fortnite as a as a clone may be affecting your opinion? I don't think so because I don't think of it as that way because like these PUBG now could learn from Fortnite in a bunch of different ways. Like I, I don't think of it as that way. I think some people do. Mm-hmm. I, and I think some of the people that I follow, so like the Polygon streamers that I follow, I think that they are less interested in Fortnite. So like that's rubbing off on me because I'm, I'm not experiencing it as much maybe. Um, I don't know, but can I talk about PUBG? Yes. So, like, this is the first time I've ever played it, right? I've been talking about this game forever because I'm very interested in it, but I didn't have a way to play it. Um, and, okay, so I finished second in my first match, which was very... Okay. very uh, third, third I finished in my first match. It was very exciting for me. I killed five people. It is uh, widely reported at this point that the game has lots of bots in it right now. Because oh, no. <laughs> they're trying oh, no. to... Like, there are real people playing, but they're filling it up with bots as well. But mm, I kind of don't okay. care about that. Um, because when I was playing and I played again today, I am just like coursing of adrenaline for this entire game because I am aware of what's going on. And like, as you get further and further in, it's like, 
I might win this. And it and there's so many things happening in PUBG, like with the circle shrinking and like the fact that you, you arrive in, you've got to choose where you want to go and you don't know where the safe areas are going to be. You've got to try and find loot, which is like completely spread out randomly and sporadically. And you have to hope that you try and get a good loadout and you can hear people's footsteps and you can hear gunfire. Like it is a game which is created to, to, cause stress and adrenaline while you're playing it so for me like i didn't really i don't care about the fact that i know there are bots in this game it's still really stressful in a good way to play i still get that like excitement when i play it so i don't care um but there is one thing about this why i actually don't think either of these games work on mobile and it's not the controls like PUBG's controls i actually find to be pretty well laid out um, in a way that I did not find Fortnite's to be as well laid out. Like, the PUBG controls are pretty well laid out, and I think this has less controls, right? Fortnite has more controls because of the building stuff as well as yeah. the yeah. just the, the, the shooting stuff. The problem is, neither of these games are pick-up-and-play like, like iOS games are. Because when you start a game of PUBG, you have no idea how long you're going to be there for. Because you could die in 20 seconds or you could die in 15 minutes. So, like, there have been a bunch of times where I'm like, mm, I might want to play PUBG. And I'm like, ah, but I don't know how much time I have to play this. So, like, you could, that there isn't, and there isn't really a, a way, to, there is not a way to hop in and out, right? Once you start a game, you have finished the game or you leave the game and you're done from the game. So, it's like, it, it, it's, it's creating this interesting thing where it's like they're, they're both PUBG and Fortnite exist on iOS because they are the two biggest games in the world right now but I don't actually think either of them work very well on this platform neither of them have controller support which they definitely should I think that they just exist on iOS and on Android because that's where you're told to be right and like these games are dominating the free charts they're dominating the grossing because people are jumping into play because the zeitgeist is around them but I actually think that these are pretty bad examples of what it's like to have a really good iOS game. They're just games that exist because, of course. And and it's been it's interesting to watch this go. But obviously, it's, I, I feel like you could play bingo with this show right now. It makes me want to build a PC even more now that I've actually had a taste of PUBG. <laughs> like, now I've had a taste of PUBG. It's like, uh, I was starting to like uh. starting to price it up a little bit today. Like what, what we were talking about last time, it happened, right? I've had to buy a bunch of plane tickets. Um, so soon, soon, soon. You, you had a quick bite. And now, you, now you want the main no, course. No, well, I had a taste, man. I had a taste of it. No, <laughs> you want to wait now until you I can buy it. one of those Volta GPUs, my friend. <laughs> Don't start doing things like that to me. Or this is never going to happen. You should. Uh, can you can you play PUBG with ray tracing? Oh, Twenty eighteen. I will do it this year. Twenty eighteen. I will do it. Making promises now. <laughs> <laughs> 